pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, we're grateful for your word. Um, you sent your son, Jesus, the very word to us to reveal, to communicate, to reveal who you are. And Holy Spirit, you've come sent by the Father and the Son to glorify Jesus, to make sure that we really know him. And so I pray now that you will help us. Holy Spirit, uh, as you breathed out this very word through this one we call Paul, and we trust that uh, it will ring true to us as from God and work in us by the very power of God all that is true and right and good. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn please to Ephesians chapter 5 again, verses 15 through 21. Ephesians chapter 5, please. This is the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now, this is the third part of this sort of summary statement, but it's more than just a summary statement. It really brings in some sense to a climax what the Apostle has been writing about, and then it's going to take us on as well. It's going to help lay the groundwork, solidify, we could say, the groundwork for what's to come. So it's a very, very important piece, what I've just read. We're in the third part. We've already begun, um, mentioned that we're, we're, we're not to be unwise, but to be wise. We're not to be foolish, but we're to understand what the will of the Lord is. And now he says, don't get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. Now we know that all of this is about this identity that we have as believers in Jesus. When we come, come to faith in Jesus, we realize that everything's changed. That now, as the apostle would write in another place, we're new creatures. As Jesus would say, we've been born again. As we read in our call to worship this uh, morning from Ezekiel, as he's sort of showing and telling what's going to come, uh, he says that God will take out of our heart of stone and put in heart of flesh that is the one that's alive. So he'll bring new life and he'll put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. That's what we're talking about about this morning, this identity. Paul talked earlier about it and said we've been adopted. You might remember from chapter 1 in uh, the end of verse 4, he says, in love he, that is the Father, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he blessed us in the beloved. In, in, in other words, we're now children of God. He's adopted us. And, and you know adoption, you know that that it's up to the adopter, not the adoptee, to be adopted. And so it's the adopter who loves, and it's by the adopter's grace that the adopted one comes and receives a new name, a new family. And 
a new inheritance. Everything that belongs to this new family is now mine. And so that's who we are as those who are adopted. And so he says, all right, now, because you're in my family, God says, I want you to live like that. That's how you're to live. That's happened. I've made you a part of my family. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, to do anything to become a part of my family. I've chosen you. I've called you. And you're now mine. And so uh, in this faith that you have in me as you've renounced the old and relied now upon me, here you are. Now, how are you supposed to live? And so he's laid that out, uh, beginning in the opening parts of chapter 4, made it more explicit as we've come to the middle and the end of chapter 4. And then in chapter 5, he sort of summarizes, says, I want you to be imitators of me. I want you to be imitators of God. To love as I've loved. I want you to be that way. That's what, it, that's what it's like to be a part of my family. So be careful now how you live because the days are evil. Everything will be pulling you away from that, but, but I won't be pulling you away from that. I'll be, I'll be leading you in that. And so, so be careful how you live. Not as, as unwise, but be wise, you see. Make the most of every opportunity. And, and, and don't be foolish, but understand what my will is for you. Understand what my will is for you. That is, soak yourself in the scripture in such a way that, that you know me. And in knowing me, you'll, you'll, you'll know how it is. How you to live. I'll lay out some things very explicitly, but yet mostly what I'll do in the midst of that is I'll reveal myself to you. So you'll really know me. And so you'll so know me, so understand me, that you'll think like me. And you'll behave as I would want you to behave because you know me. As parents, we know that we give our kids all kinds of rules and regulations, this and that, and, and restrictions and boundaries and all that kind of stuff. But as parents, I trust you know what you're communicating to your children is you. To know you in such a way that when they get into particulars, they'll know your wisdom. See, that, that's obviously that's the burden of being a parent, because sadly uh, they do know you, and and you can see that in them. There are times when Karen and I we love our kids and they're great and all that, but after we're with them, sometimes we say, "Why did they learn all the wrong things from us?" You know, we can see all of those things in us, uh, but, but but that's the sense of it. So, when God the Father, what the, what He's doing is He is He's he, through the Scripture as He's revealing Himself to us. He's saying, "This is who I am. Know Me." You see, and so when you're in various circumstances and situations, you. You'll know me, right? And thus, we're to resemble him, that is, imitate him. We're to resemble him. We're to glorify him. We're to reflect him. We're being created, the apostle says in chapter 4, in his likeness, in true righteousness and holiness. So, we're to know him, the righteous and holy one, and then we're to live righteously and holy. We were to know him as the one who loves, and thus we're to love as he loves Right? We're to know him as the forgiver, and since we forgive as he forgives. We're to know him as the one who's gracious, and so we're to be gracious, especially in our speech and our actions to each other. We're to know him as the compassionate one, and so, so we're to be compassionate, you see. All of that comes through. And, and so now he gets to this place where he tells us something that, at least for me, I just kind of, whew, it, it wakes me up and, and I can feel the shivering going on when he says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, as I come to this expression, don't be drunk with wine, 
for that leads to debauchery, but, but be filled with the Spirit, I, I ask a number of questions. Number one is, so, so what's the difference here in terms of, why does he contrast these two things, uh, being drunk with wine and filled with the Spirit? And then secondly, so then, what's it really mean? What's it really mean to be filled with the Spirit? And then thirdly, since uh, this is a command to us, some sense we'll look at that more deeply, but this is a command to us. That what, do we, what do we do? I mean, how do we make sure this happens? That we're actually filled with the Spirit. You see, how do we make sure this happens? And then, and then, as it does, what would we expect to see in our lives? Or if it isn't, then what would we expect to be missing? So what would we expect to be true about us if this is true? Now, spoiler alert, I won't get to the last one. That's next week, Sorry. So we only get verse 18 this week. I'm sorry to be going, actually, I'm not sorry to be going so slow. I don't know how else to do it, um, unless you want to stay all afternoon. And I've tried to make you do that, and you won't. So, so this sense. So first of all, what's he talking about when he says, don't get drunk with wine, for that's the Bible, but be filled with the Spirit. What's about this contrast? No, it's no big surprise. There's somebody in the Bible say, don't get drunk, right? Uh, now, please understand... That this is no prohibition against alcohol and so forth and so on. It is against against drunkenness. Uh, I think it's a difficult thing to make a case against alcohol in the Bible, particularly, especially since the psalmist says that we've been given wine to gladden the heart, and and uh, and, and Jesus uh, made the best wine there ever was, according to the Scripture, out of water in in uh, the wedding of Cana. Uh, but there are all kinds of uh, cautions in the Proverbs and certainly in the New Testament as well against drunkenness. And we can understand, we can understand all of that. So, you know, I leave that to you and how wise or unwise it is to drink and so forth and so on alcohol. That's up to you, not to me. But, but drunkenness is clearly uh, something, we, something that ought not happen in our lives because it dulls our senses. And he says... Apostle does it leads to this thing called debauchery, which even if you don't know what that means, you know what that means, right? Just listening to the word debauchery, it's got to be bad. It's got to lead to things. Well, one, one scholar puts uh, the definition like this. He says debauchery refers to a loss of self-control. And we get that with drunkenness. We can see that. A loss of self-control. Behavior which shows a lack of concern or thought for the consequences of an action. Senseless, reckless deeds. You might remember in the story that Jesus told of when we call the prodigal son, he, he says that he, he squandered his property in reckless deeds and recklessness. That is, he wasn't thinking about the consequences of what he was doing. He had lost self-control and he got into the whole scene of having this inheritance so great and he, he squandered it all and his living was reckless. That is, he didn't think about it. And so the apostle is saying this debauchery, drunkenness leads to a lack of self-control in such a way that you forget about the consequences. Therefore, you're not living wisely. You're clearly not understanding what the will of the Lord is because all that is now blurred. You can't really think straight about what's really right and what's really wrong, what's really true, how I'm supposed to live. Um, and, uh, of course, we... We see the effects, many of us, and some of us in 
We've seen it in our own lives and some lives of those we love. And clearly in the lives of public figures, we see um, the dangerous debauchery, if you will. More generally, Brian Chapel, who's former president of Covenant Seminary in, in, um, in St. Louis, um, puts it like this. He said, this command, referring to emptying of ourselves of excess wine, but also in contrast to the filling of the Spirit, is an emptying ourselves of anything in the world that would hold us under its influence. That's, that's the thing is that he's saying when you're drunk with wine, you're under its influence, its influence, as opposed to God's influence, if you will. So something's taken the place of God, something's influencing you and your thoughts and your behavior and your words that isn't God, right? And so he's saying now this command, it's empty of ourselves of anything in the world that would hold us under its influence, such influence whether by wine or other intoxicants or anything else, leads to reckless living that would darken the very life of light the apostle has been advocating. What he's been advocating is that we live in such a way that's righteous and holy. And he's saying that we can be influenced, and he uses wine perhaps as an illustration. There might have been some things going on in Ephesus and the city and all of that that made that to be something that was on his mind. But whatever it is, he says, this is something other than God, you see, is, is influencing uh, your life, is controlling you, is dominating you. And you can see it by the life that you're living, by the words that you're saying, by the things that you're doing, by the thoughts that you're thinking, and also by the thoughts you aren't thinking, by the words you aren't saying, by the things you aren't doing, because you're under this other influence, whether it be a philosophy of life, how we understand life, differently than how, how God would understand life and teach it to us, or whether it's, you know, the, the people you hang out with. Sometimes you can, you can know the, 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 the demeanor and the words and the actions of someone because of, of who they're with, you see. So that could be the influence. Whatever it is, uh, he's saying, we need to empty ourselves of that and be actually filled with the Spirit. So the first question I would have when talking about being filled with the Spirit is to ask the question, who or what is this Spirit? <laughs> right? Who is it? What is it that we're being filled with? Or who's doing this even filling? Paul refers to this one as simply the Spirit. We recognize that Paul's speaking about not a what, but a who. And the who is the Holy Spirit of God. Not an it, but a he the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, we uh, sung about the Trinity this morning. We've confessed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I believe in Jesus Christ, uh, his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about God, um, we're talking about one who is one God, three persons. We say this is the Trinity. A Trinitarian God through all eternity is one. All that he does, he does together. All that he does, he does with one mind and heart and purpose. And yet we see him because he reveals himself to us. We understand him in the scripture. We see him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As I, as I said, we, our creeds speak of that, the Trinitarian. Um, our songs, we sing about a holy, holy, holy uh, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Uh, we sing that song. 
Um, we, we sang about it this morning. Uh, o sovereign God, O matchless King. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, uh, and all of that. If you pay attention, I trust you do. Uh, most all our prayers of invocations, we start our service are Trinitarian. Uh, we speak of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of his work. This morning I did, very explicitly. I trust you paid attention that we gave thanks to the Father who decreed and made this way of salvation, the Son who achieved it, and the Holy Spirit who applies it uh, to our lives. That's sort of the fundamental work of, of the Spirit. Um, one 17th century theologian, John Owen, we wrote a great deal about the Holy Spirit, um, a great deal about other things as well. But the Holy Spirit in particular, he says, everything God does, he does as the triune God. Each person of the Trinity is involved in every action. Now, one may be more highlighted in that action than another, but they're all together in it, if you will, in creation, in the incarnation, in the cross of Jesus, um, and all of that. We, we see... God at work, and we can see particulars. The Father, as I mentioned, the one who decrees, who plans. The Son is the one who achieves it. Jesus comes and, and wins it, buys our salvation, if you will, with his life, with his death, and, and, and then the Spirit applies it to us. So we can see it. In fact, you can't read much of Ephesians without seeing this interplay all along. We saw it in chapter 1, uh, as, as the Father plans and decrees our salvation, uh, chooses us to be his, if you will, sets out our destiny. Christ comes and, 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 and wins that, if you will, for us, achieves it, and then the Spirit comes and, uh, and applies it to us. We see the work of the Spirit. We see his presence in the Old Testament, it's not as explicit as in the New. So as you read through the Old Testament, you won't find that many references to the Holy Spirit. You'll, you'll, find, um, you'll find some, uh, particularly in the Psalms. Where can I go from your spirit? Right? Where can I hide from your presence? In Psalm 139. And the prayer that we prayed this morning was a, a prayer of David's, really, in Psalm 51, after he had... Uh, sinned so grievously with Bathsheba and against even her husband and for having him killed ultimately and even the nation of Israel and certainly God and, and uh, even David uh, prays, um, hide your face from my sins, blot out my iniquities, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's not the Holy Spirit so much as his own attitude, his own spirit. But then um, it says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. We mustn't think that that means that God's going to take his spirit away from us. It simply is a poetic way of David being able to say, I know I can't live without you. I've sinned against you, but I know I can't live without you. I know I can't, I can't follow you. I know I can't rule this people. I can't be your child without you. So I know I've sinned grievously. But I just want to acknowledge I know I can't live without you. So please don't. That's what he means by that. Don't take your spirit from me. It's, it's, it's a poetic, if you will, cry of a heart. You know that feeling. And even though you know God won't take his spirit from you, still you just say, oh, please don't. <laughs> because I won't be able to survive. I won't be able to live without your presence in my life. That's what, that's what David 
means. And then even we read from the, the prophet Ezekiel as he's speaking of the new covenant. And he says that God will take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that he'll put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. That, that, that's, that's really a summary of what it means to be a Christian, of what's happened to you. That the Holy Spirit has come, you see, and he's changed your heart. Again, Jesus spoke of that. He called it being born again. Right? Being born of the Spirit, if you will. He's going to change your heart. It's a heart of stone, he says. It's unresponsive to God. Paul talks in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He says, no, but I'm going to make you alive. That's what he's done, you see. If you're a believer in Jesus, he's made you alive. You're dead, spiritually speaking. And he made you alive. You can't do that to yourself. That's so important for us to realize. If you're dead, you're dead. You can't make yourself alive. Only, only God can do that. Again, the picture of Lazarus being raised from the dead. You know that's incident in the life of Jesus. Where Lazarus, his friend, had been dead for four days. So much so that, that uh, I love, I've shared this before, that in the King James Version uh, that I grew up with as a kid, uh, when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus uh, in the, to open it, and the people said, Jesus, he stinketh, right? He stinketh. He's that dead. He stinks. You know, he stinketh. And, uh, and Jesus called him. That's the work of the Spirit, the call of the Spirit that calls us and gives us life. So that's the sense, you see, that we see. And then we, we even see... Uh, Jesus, when he's with his disciples right before his ascension, he says to them in Acts chapter 1, he's going to send them the promise of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses after that, he says, now when the Spirit comes upon you, you have power to be my witnesses. Because this Holy Spirit will come, and we'll go over this again in a minute, but I read it 20 minutes ago from John, the Gospel of John, that the Holy Spirit comes and, and bears witness to us, glorifies Jesus, tells us who Jesus is. And convinces us of that. So says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when, when he does, and you'll be my witnesses here, there, and everywhere, as Jesus puts it, you see. And, and then we read through the book of Acts, and you can see the Holy Spirit coming on people. It's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We've all experienced that. If you're a believer in Jesus, you've been baptized in the Spirit. And then we see those who are filled with the Spirit as they go on and, and witness of Christ in power. And then we learn, of course, as we come, that the work of the Spirit is to, as we've said, uh, sanctify us, make us holy. He, he, works, he works in us, you see. Uh, in fact, there are other expressions for this very, this very same thing. Um, Romans and uh, chapter 8 says that we're to be led by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 says that we're to be led by the Spirit, we're to walk in the Spirit, we're to keep in step with the Spirit. And so that's this sense of it. You see, the Holy Spirit, God himself, is at work in us. We're not alone. We're not alone. He actually is working in us. That's the point of it, you see. So again, if I could use... um, my 17th century theologian friend, John Owen, he puts it like this. He says, there's no good that we receive from God, but it is brought to us and wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. There is no good that we receive from God, but it is brought to us and wrought in us 
by the Holy Spirit. Nor is nor is there um, any good to, towards God, any faith, love, obedience to his will, but we're, what we are enabled to do so by the Holy Spirit. So God's at work in us. Be of good cheer, people. Uh, if this isn't true, we're sunk, by the way, right? God is really at work in us by his Spirit. And the good news for us, you see, is that the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. What does that mean? I, I read that to, to us uh, a few minutes ago during our, our reading time from the Gospels. Um, and in, in um, John 14, a passage, a little couple of verses I didn't read, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, this is John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper, that is the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. See, we need to remember that. We need to know that the spirit of God is that close to us that we can be able to say that he's in us. I remember the first time I taught that, taught that to our children. And each, with each kid, they all did the same thing. It was so predictable. Each kid went to the mirror and went, right? <laughs> and then we had to say, no, not like that, right? <laughs> this is a spiritual thing. Uh, you know, it's not like you gained like three pounds because the Holy Spirit was in you. Although that's always been my excuse. I'm so full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's, he weighs about 15 pounds, I think. But... Um, but it's not like that. It's a spiritual thing. You see, he's, he's with us. You see, he's, he's with us. He's with us. And then he says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. See, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he continues to, in, in, in various ways, illuminate for us, show to us who Jesus is, so much so that Jesus would say this, he says, uh, chapter 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I'll send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And he'll also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. He'll bear witness about me. He'll bear witness about me. And then in chapter 16, and verse 14, uh, verse 13, and Jesus says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he'll not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he'll speak and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. He comes to glorify Jesus. Now, sometimes people complain in the church that we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit. Well, the reason for that is that the Holy Spirit wants us to talk about Jesus. So when we're talking about Jesus, you see, and we're saying true things about Jesus, the Holy Spirit's going, that's great, you see. That's why when Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about his preaching, he says he preaches Christ and him crucified. He doesn't say, I preach the Holy Spirit. He says, I preach Christ and him crucified. But he does it in the power of the Spirit. 
It wouldn't be effective at all if the Holy Spirit won't present. So he said, I know the Spirit is present. So if you're preaching, if you're teaching, if you're sharing, whatever you're doing, uh, in the name of the Lord, uh, the Holy Spirit is present. You need to be aware of that. It will give you confidence to open your mouth. It will give you confidence to live out life. But, 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 but the focus of attention is Christ. That's why in Colossians chapter 1, we use this often, and we did a couple of weeks ago, uh, for a profession of faith, that in all things Christ is preeminent. See, all things Christ is preeminent. In fact, it's fascinating that our confessional document uh, that lays out our theology is called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a wonderful document. In the original Westminster Confession of Faith that was written in the 17th century, there was no chapter on the Holy Spirit. Now, we got a little paranoid around the end of the 19th century and added one. But... uh, uh, but there wasn't one in the original. There, isn't, there wasn't one in the original. The, 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 the ones who wrote that confession said, well, it's all about the Holy Spirit. Every time we talk about Jesus, it's about the Holy Spirit. Every time we talk about his work, it's, it's, it's the work of the Spirit. So, so we don't need a whole separate chapter about him. What he wants is, is to focus our attention upon Christ. And so you see what's happening. When we're filled with the Spirit, it means that the Spirit is bringing to us the very presence of Christ. The very presence of God. Theologically, we say it like this. That the Holy Spirit mediates the presence of God to us. He brings him to us. He's the bridge that brings Christ and the Father to us. In fact, earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. Well, how's he going to be with us? He's going to be ruling and reigning and glory and all of that, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's going to be with us because the Spirit of God will come and bring him to us. The very Spirit. That's why often in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus or the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of truth, you see, because he brings to us Jesus. And so when we're filled with the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, it means that Christ is so alive in us that it's evident. Christ is so alive in us that it's, it's evident. So Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter um, 3, you know this, we did this number of months ago now. He says, For this reason, verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Now, listen now. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? Very Trinitarian here, by the way. He's bowing before the Father. And he's so that you may receive the power of the Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And remember, when we walk through this prayer, we said that little word to dwell was a word that was specific to dwelling permanently. That is, not just as a guest. This is a visitor. You know, if you're a visitor in the house, 
you, you know, you don't change too much. In fact, when you visit someone and they tell you, you know, um, act like you're at home, you know they don't mean that, right? They don't mean drink out of the milk jug, right? They don't, they don't mean that. Walk around in your underwear. They don't mean that. Uh, but if it's your house, you see, then, then you redecorate. You change everything to your liking. So much so that somebody comes into your house, they could go, I know who lives here. I know who lives here. You see? You walk into my office in my home and you know exactly who lives there. There are books everywhere stacked up. You know, oh, this bill lives here. Right? And so, so Jesus, you see, by the Spirit, lives in us permanently in such a way that he fills the space. And when he fills the space, you see, he's filling our lives. And when he's filling our lives, you see, then people see him. That his character is formed in us. The Apostle Paul, in another place, in Galatians, where is it? Galatians in chapter 4, verse 19, he says to the church, um, he says, my little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth. He says, you know, you're, you're, I'm your pastor, if you will. And so I'm, I have anguish for you to be born well, if you will. And he says, for I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You see, that's what's happening when we're filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ is being formed in us. And it's the power of God at work in us to change us, to transform us in such a way that we're holy. That we love the way God has loved. That we forgive the way we've been forgiven. That we're compassionate as he's been compassionate to us. As we're merciful as he's been merciful to us. And all of that. Does that make sense? That's, that's it's the essence of this idea of this we're to be filled with the Spirit. So now very quickly... What am I to do? How do I obey this? You see, if we look at just, if I could just, I know it's late in the morning, but if I could give you a little grammar for just a minute. This expression, most of you know this already, but to be filled is a, first of all, it's a command. It's a command. So this is something we need to take care of. It's not an option. There aren't some Christians that are filled with the spirits and some aren't filled and uh, to be filled. In other words, and, and it's a plural, so it's, it, it applies to everybody. There aren't some special Christians, oh, they're the spirit-filled ones, and those are the non-spirit-filled ones. Or you can't be a Christian and say, well, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be filled with that spirit thing. All right, so it's not that. It could be that you don't want it because you've watched too much TV. But, so don't watch TV. Uh, <laughs> so just, you know, don't watch TV. Uh, but we're all to be filled with the spirit. So it's a command, you see, and it's for all of us. And also in, in Greek, and many of you know this, in the Greek language, there's what's called a present tense. And this is a present tense imperative. And this present tense imperative means that it's always present, meaning that it's to be continual. This isn't a one-shot deal. This is, this is a life for us. We're to live. You remember that in Acts chapter 6, there was a problem in the church, and so the church had to, to, um, to, to, to choose some people who could deal with the problem. And one of the characteristics of the 
people they chose to deal with the problem is that they must be full of the Holy Spirit. And that meant these are people whose lives exemplify the presence of the Spirit in such a way that they have the wisdom and the character of Christ. And so that's what we're to be, you see. Filled with the Spirit means that this is a life thing. Now, of course, we grow in it. Of course, we grow in it, just like everything else. But, but, but we're to be filled with the Spirit so that Christ is formed uh, in us. So what do we do? How do we, how do we do this? Well, in one sense, we realize we're a little bit behind the eight ball because we can't fill ourselves. It's the work of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who fills us. We don't fill ourselves, you see. And, and, and please understand, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, he isn't some uh, impersonal force that we tap into, you know. Anytime you're hearing a, a sermon or a teaching on the Holy Spirit and they, 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 they talk about plugging into the Holy Spirit like you have a cord, <laughs> it's not that at all, right? The Holy Spirit is a he with a will and a heart and a mind, if you will, in terms of who he is. And uh, we don't just, you know, use him and plug in when we want. Um, it isn't that. So what are we to, to do, really? Well, we do this, as we do everything, by faith. By faith. A dear friend of mine, Jerry Bridges, has taught me, taught us this. He says, when we live by faith, there are two things always present. One is that we renounce, and the other is that we rely. And so to live by faith in every situation means that we're renouncing self-dependence. We're renouncing self-reliance. We're renouncing self-trust. And we're relying upon the sufficiency of God. We're relying upon the sufficiency of Christ, you see. That's what it means to live by faith. We could also say it like this. It's repentance and faith. We're turning away from self-dependence and turning towards trusting in Christ, who he is, what he's done, you see. And so in that faith, we are then, second thing that our dear friend Jerry Bridges taught us, that we're to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. What do you mean by that? Well, when you're preaching the gospel to yourself, the good news, what you're preaching is who Jesus is. And when you see him, what you see is your own sinfulness. And so when you're preaching the gospel to yourself every day, you're repenting, renouncing that whole way of life, of self-dependence, going my own way, my own sin. And then you're relying upon Christ and you see his glory. And you see his greatness. Right? You're trusting in him. So we're filled with the Spirit by faith, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. And then by taking advantage of what we call the means of grace. The, the ways that God is gracious to us and gives his grace. For instance, again, this isn't rocket science here, people. This is... This is simply being a Christian. You soak yourself in the scripture. What did God say to the people of Israel when he was leading them out 
of Egypt out of their slavery. So you need to renounce the old life and rely upon me. And he put it like this. He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Don't trust what you see. Trust me, you see. Trust me. Or as Paul would put it in another place, another letter, Colossians chapter 3, in verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it. Right? Receive it. Let it dwell there. Put this word in you. Let it dwell there. Meaning, let it live in you. Jesus said, if, if my word abides in you, my word lives in you. So he says, take that word and let it live there. Which means, let it make its home there. Which means, let it control your life. Live by it. And then, of course, to pray. And to pray persistently. Remember, Jesus told a parable. And at the end of that parable, he he ended it with a saying that uh, we know quite well. You can find this in Matthew 7. I'm going to look in Luke chapter 11, which is the second place where it is. And so Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Um, Seek, and you'll find. Knock. And it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? And this too is a persistent thing. Same kind of Present imperative. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. We're always living in the conscious recognition that the Holy Spirit is within us. And we're constantly depending upon him. And we're saying, please, God, please, God, help me. Please, may your spirit work in me in such a way that will cause the very character of Christ to be formed in me that I can live this out. And then finally, there's two things. Understand, first of all, this struggle. There will be a struggle. Paul talks about it in Galatians in chapter in Galatians in chapter five. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they're opposed to each other, uh, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do or need to do or know you should do. And we know that. We understand that struggle. This isn't a walk in the park. <laughs> we understand what it is, if you will, to, to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It shouldn't be so hard, we know, but it is the context of our lives. So understand the struggle. And secondly, understand this, that I doubt, at least if you're like me, that you'll ever feel up to it, that you'll ever feel strong enough. That's why the apostle said of himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, power is perfected in weakness. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Why would he say such a thing? He said, when I understand my weakness, my vulnerability, when I understand my weakness, I'm more dependent upon God. And therefore, in my weakness, I come to know his strength, his power. When I'm feeling strong, I'm unlikely to renounce my self-dependence. I'm I'm likely to embrace it. I got this. You know, I got this is the thing you say right before you fail. Right? He's got this. 
which is what we say right before we live. Be filled with the Spirit, you see. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what would that look like? Well, sorry, got to come back next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, for me, for us, I pray that you really would work in us. You promised to. So please, I pray, work in us. Holy Spirit, please open our eyes that we can really see what's true. Enable us to see Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done so that we can truly see ourselves and our need so that we can renounce our self-reliance and rely upon him. So Holy Spirit, do that work. And in work in us powerfully, please, I pray that Christ would be formed in us so we can live out this real life. Please help us, I pray. Individually, certainly as a church to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.